Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. Instead of going and ripping them off and saying, hey, why you don't have a black color? That's not the question I should be asking. They are also doing in the business. They also want to make money. They also want to be successful. Nobody's going to come and tell me wrong answers to those things. So I understand that. So I think that the leading question to those issues, that's how you build relationship. I don't look them as a supplier. I look them as my partners. Welcome to the Ecom Logistics Podcast. We're excited to be joined today by Prashant Shah, Chief Supply Chain Officer at SwagUp. Prashant started his supply chain career in the U.S. Marines. Thank you for your seven years of service, Prashant. After the Marines, he served in various logistics roles, including Target, Macy's, Bed Bath & Beyond, Lasership, and Casper, before becoming SwagUp's first chief supply chain officer. Prashant, really excited to have you join us today, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, I want to I want to thank you for your service to our country and would love for you to share how you feel the Marine Corps prepared you for a career in supply chain and, and then kind of followed that with your your you know past 15 year journey leading up to swag up. No, absolutely. So I, I came to to United States in 2001. And I was studying at that point, and right after that, I, I 9-11 happened, and 9-12, I literally went to the Marine Corps office and asked them <laughs> to sign up for it. So that's how I started my journey for the Marines, and uh, the way I look back and everybody asked me why, I said, if not me, who? Uh, if everybody just thinks it differently, then who will serve, who will have that duty, go above and beyond in that side of the format to um, make sure that, you know, the country is safe and the people are safe. And this fight, I truly felt that it was not against a country, but it was more about, you know, a bad guy, terrorism and so forth. So I, I went and joined the Marines and, and just a little bit from the Marine Corps side, um, you know, did multiple tours from 2001 to 2007. I was in Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Iraq and so forth, multiple tours. And uh, I will say when I started, I, I was a warehouse chief in the Marines. We set up bases uh, all over the place. We call it a FOB, which is Forward Operating Base, uh, where basically we go. There is nothing. It's a simple ground in any of those countries. We open up the bases where all the other troops then join us, and then we continue to move forward from there. So that's how I started my journey into the warehouse side and uh, opening the bases for the Marines itself. Wow. And now as as far as like opening these warehouses for the military is concerned, right? It's got to be a whole different experience. Is it more templatized, process oriented, or is it more like, okay, we got to deal with whatever we have been thrown at, right? Like on one day you could be you know, in a in a building that was occupied as a, a commercial property and next thing you might be in an industrial area or there might be no property and you got to build something, right? So um, how how does the process actually work? I would say basically it's we get an intel that, hey, this is the place where you should be or should not be aware, like should be operating from. Uh, and we just go ahead and start uh, putting up the tents, putting up the fences, uh, putting our trucks, food. Uh, and just go from there and, and weaponize that whole area. So that way we can deal with if there's anything incoming and also secure and defense our bases. Yeah. 
that's the that there's no like when you talk about format uh every place every war every missions is different uh i think being a mindful of those risk and making sure that we are prepared for anything that's coming i think that's where the our training comes into the play but uh, other than that there's no set sops like uh, right now when i'm doing warehouses like okay it has to be four walls we need to have this many dark doors now it doesn't work that way in the military right like i i would think about like anytime we we try to enable a new warehouse as an example it could be an easy from a technology standpoint easy six month initiative you know how how am I going to bring right. products in? What systems am I going to connect to? What nodes is it connecting to? How do I, you know, lay out the warehouse? How do products flow in? How do the products flow out? I got to test it, make sure it's efficient, etc. Are there systems like warehouse management systems that is it like internal? Is it like, you know, the standard stuff that you see out in the market that's been used by the military? Like how 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 does a warehouse get set up from a technology standpoint? No, great, great question. So we do have warehouse management system, which usually built within within the uh, Marine Corps itself or any military, I can say. And we have the warehouse. There's like a multiple groups of warehouse admins or analysts that works on it. We have engineers who works on it and make sure that we are up to date with the systems and so forth that we can take it anywhere in the world and that we know our inventory, what's going on. So it is technologically driven. And I'm talking about from 2001 when I was there till 2007 and nowadays it's even more further uh, long way when it comes to the technology. So yes, we do have that. We have inventory management app uh, as well that we work on and everything is in the container. So we know exactly what's in our container, how many tents, how many vehicles, how many weapons and so forth. And that's important for us to know because uh, uh, if you don't know, we don't know how we're going to fight. In exactly. Exactly. Right? So exactly. The inventory controls got to be just a tad bit tighter, right? Uh, you you can't be yes. operating at a 97.5% inventory accuracy. <laughs> No. <laughs> no. <laughs> in fact in the marines there is uh there was no it has to be 100 yeah. percent. there were in the warehousing it's never we have never said that oh it needs to be at 99.5 99 i have never heard those numbers <laughs> it's his expectation is you have 100 exactly oh that's hilarious yeah and Prashant, maybe too, you know, as I look back on my you know 20 year career in supply chain, many of the men and women that, you know, I was blessed to work with came from military background. And maybe just your thoughts on, you know, how the military prepares someone for sure. supply chain and logistics. And, and, you know, if, if you've if you've experienced the same. Absolutely. So there are about I would say three to four items or maybe five items that military really prepare for you. Not every single thing, but there, there are about a few things that really prepare, and especially in the supply chain, which is very time uh, management perspective is very, very important, right? Like everything has to be from point A to point B on a timely fashion to get to the uh, you know end user, no matter what. So I would say the first one is communication. In supply chain, there is so many items, so many departments, pillars that needs to be uh, communicated. I think in the in the military, communication is number one because it's, it is a life and death situation. Yeah. You need to know where the enemy is coming from. So that's something we live and breathe about. We want to make sure that we have our communication is uh, clear precise uh, communication and and we go from there so that's something definitely prepare within the supply chain format uh, on the on the civilian side and i continue to say civilian side because we yeah. are talking about from military to the civilian so second thing is flexibility 
there is no such thing when you're in the war or even in the, uh, a peacetime. There is no structure. There is a structure, but not as on a daily basis. There is some, but when you're in the missions, when you're on the war side, uh, operations, there is no structure behind it. So you have to be flexible on what's incoming. That's something that prepares a military personnel to go into the civilian side. So if something gets thrown at them, usually they are common collective and supply chain is one of them. That uh, There's always a curveball every single day in a supply chain. So that's something we can keep our uh, calmness uh, around it. And the, uh, and the, I would say one of the things is uh, cultural awareness, right? Like uh, military is also just like any other organization made of many individuals come out of from different cultures, different background, ethnicity, and so forth. And that really preps them for the camaraderie pre-peace uh, because uh, you're literally having somebody's, your life, you put it in somebody's hands, right? Like you have each other's back. And now to do that, you have to make sure that you understand where that person came from, what their back end story is, their life, you know, what uh, what hurdles or risks they came through and everything. So you can start bonding with them and you have no other choice. You have to bond. So if you start thinking that way, going into any industry or civilian life, it becomes very easy to start bonding with individuals where we take it for granted many times. Uh, on the flip side. So those are the things I would say definitely help me to go around it. And uh, I, I think it's, it's I would say, human uh, nature. I would say when it comes to camaraderie, it just, it reflects back to nothing else. I think that's amazing perspective. Uh, really well said. So appreciate that. And, you know, when we look at your uh, civilian experience, you know, you've had a lot of great experience and exposure to a lot of different scenarios. And I think we're going to have fun uh, jumping around a bit uh, of, of your experience over the past you know, 10 to 15 years. And I have a lot of curiosity, um, even though it was one of your shorter experiences, but uh, the time you spent with Casper and again, Casper, the mattress uh, company that we're all familiar with. And you you came into Casper at a time when there were, was rapid growth. Uh, you know, they're really thriving from a top line perspective. But bottom line, EBITDA was an issue and you know, really probably a turnaround situation for you. And you helped stabilize that situation in, in fast order. So we'd love to hear, you know, how did you first assess that situation? And, you know, did you look for the low hanging fruit? Did you look for the big, you know, the big things to swing at? Just would love to, to understand what your process was. No, absolutely. I think to understand that we got to, I have to take a step back with the laser ship. Yeah. So when I was out of laser ship, I had a great exit from laser ship and I was literally was about to go like a three to six months, just not do anything, <laughs> just, <laughs> just take care of the family, right. go out with the family and so forth. And I received a call from um, uh, Casper, you know, they need, they were looking for a supply, uh, supply chain head on their side. Uh, they call it a logistic VP, but basically it's the same depending on the title, but it's the same uh, uh, supply chain head. And uh, when I was looking into it, they they were still in on the cycle where Casper did not came out with those numbers yet officially for anyone to know that their EBITDA is going to be negative again. Right. Uh, the growth was showing pretty strong. The revenue numbers were very strong. We didn't. I did not knew during the interview time frame that the bottom line is taking a hit. Uh, this, this tremendously. And when I was talking to the CEO, who I was re, uh, reporting to in a Casper, he hired me, you know, no one knew at that, like, I was most of the people did not knew. 
um, and including myself, and I joined. And what I saw in Casper was the brand. I always loved that yeah. brand. Um, right. Their products are amazing. I talked to the engineering team, extremely smart, extremely intelligent, uh, the team. Um, and how they do the business was also very, very uh, nicely done. And uh, they were at the point where I personally went out and bought so many Casper products before even I joined Casper. So I was already in love <laughs> with their products. So that was, for me, it was a no brainer on yeah. the product side that, okay, product is good. We should be, uh, we should be okay on that part. However, uh, once I joined, it didn't turn out that way financially at least. And we, there were a lot of, a lot of C-level executives left in the same day uh, when, when they went on the layoff side of it. And then it was sold to private equity, but right in the middle of those five months, uh, there were low, too many hang, low-hanging fruits on the Casper side where Casper did not own their own facilities. It was all, mostly was done through via Flex facility. So mm. I moved everything to Geodas to make sure that they have a better inventory management, inventory control, and hired Geodas as their uh, 3PL partner. They did not have a TMS, so I was involved with to get the TMS. TMS was approved and everything while I was there, but it was implemented, like final implementation was done right after I, I, I left. And it was it was at that point when I left, uh, we, I knew that, okay, this is, this is something, I know there's a low-hanging fruit, but this is something what I could do in five months. Uh, and that's about it. And the culture uh, was shifting tremendously because it was bought up by a private equity. It was not the same culture. The C CEO left. A new CEO came in, which was the president at that point, point of uh, Casper, which a good good leadership team. However, of course, there is a culture shift when somebody else takes yeah. over. That comes my next step into the swagger. Yeah. And so, so just on the, on the, what was the rationale behind like flex facilities versus, you know, having more dedicated type of, was it like the shaping of like the demand curve, like the seasonality, like what caused to say, okay, let's have flex versus actually have more dedicated space or operate through a three As per my understanding before I joined was more about demand, but also at the same time, we, they were also right in the middle of uh, uh, COVID. So a lot of manufacturing mm -hmm. facilities around the world were also shutting down. So and a lot of other facilities were shutting down. So there was not that many 3PLs were working and, and so forth. So they started opening flex accounts uh, to just make sure that they compensate all the growth. Mm -hmm. And then when I joined, it was like a, a more so about, yes, we went through the peak of COVID and then it was coming down. Uh, that's when I started speaking with Geodas with my CEO, and then we just moved into the Geodas facility because they are international and Casper also cannot do any 3PL because to have a work in Europe, as everybody knows, we need to be GDPR compliant. So we need to find a 3PL who is a GDPR compliant to make sure that there is a business set done in on the Europe side. So that's where Geodas came into the play. We have a decent amount of experience helping, helping brands, you know, do 3PL selection. So what was that criteria like? Did, did you just get to like a short list of 3PLs that had the compliance you were looking for? Or did you already have a working relationship with Geodis and had a comfort level? So it was like, hey, how do we, how do, we do this? No, I, that, that was the first time I worked with okay. Geodis. Uh, my, my criteria mostly about business needs, which is GDI compliance, the growth initiatives, and also the infrastructure that Geodas has it on, a, on their warehouse management system and so forth. It was 
was easier for us to go after, get all the KPI and data information within the ERP system that we were using at that point in Casper. So it was a much faster transition. Plus, it was all also about cost savings too. Uh, Geodas was much cheaper for us than Flex because Flex is like a temp, yep. right? Like whenever yep. you have a temp, it's always going to be more. Absolutely. And then you had to get to the steady base of it. Absolutely. So and this has nothing to do with Geodas, but I have to imagine it gives you a little heartburn when you see like a 3PL's SLA, you know, after what you had just mentioned about like in the military, everything's 100%. And then you see like, you know, 98.5%, 99%, 99.5%. That probably gives you a little bit of uh, a little bit of heartburn based off of what you were used to in the military, your military experience. Yes, even after 15 years now out of the <laughs> military, it still gives me the same. Even my team tells me right now is 98% of them. No. <laughs> we, we, we can't have that 2%. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But but you know what, what I've realized at least, and, and military's got a military type of budget, right? Versus us executing in warehousing environment. You know, I can speak to it from more than just inventory accuracy, but like system uptime, right? Like people talk about how long the system should be up. And... You know, the difference between a 99.9% uptime and a 99.99% uptime is literally exponential in cost. The amount of things you have to layer in, infrastructure, technology spend that you have to spend to get that additional last just 0.9% or yeah, 0.9% is a very big deal, right? You know, you try to go for 99.999, right? Like five nines. That's even more exponentially expensive. So it's just, right. you know, even in inventory accuracy, when you try to go from a 98.5 or, you know, I think I think everyone should expect at least 99. Uh, but to go from 99 to 99.9 and 99.99 to 9999, I think one of the challenges you kind of run into is the amount of labor that you have to expend to keep that level of accuracy, right? Like, the amount of scan that you have to have, the amount of times you are cycle counting your facility, the amount of times, you know, you're visiting locations to be able to, you know, give that level of accuracy. So not a question, but I just feel that that's the part, that's the reason why we are still at the levels that we are. And I guess it's improving with better systems and better processes. But yeah. No, I 100% I agree with you on that, that, that note because it's, it's, it's what you're talking about is a Six Sigma rule as well going from that nine 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 zero to nine nine is it's it's tremendous curve, uh, completely understandable. The one thing that military don't have that we can find it, even though sometimes budget is is or isn't the issue, is the personnel because the type of items that we have, we just can't bring in anyone from anywhere, and that's where the hurdle starts. When I'm when I was in Af Afghanistan, I needed to get to you know if we want to go to ninety nine to hundred percent then I will need additional individuals. But who is going to go and volunteer to go to Afghanistan, stay with me for six <laughs> months, right? So hmm. we get into the preparation that we need to be 100%. So that way we don't need additional personnel to go after so they can be used somewhere else if there are any. And that's, that's the mindset, yeah. right? Like the mindset is that we don't have anybody. That's all you have. Whatever you see, that's yeah. it. That's about it. 
Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, as I promised, we're going to jump around your career a little bit. So maybe one step, sure. one more step backwards in time before, uh, before moving forward, you joined LaserShip at a really unique period in their, their growth curve as well, too. And, you know, as, as I was reading, you joined when they were doing about 200 million in sales. And two years later, they're a billion dollar top line organization. So massive, massive growth in, in a 24 month time period that you were there. And, you know, you assisted a lot in that, right? I mean, you were part of that leadership team. So you you helped fuel the growth. But you also just like we talked about at Casper, you also uh, helped by managing and reducing a lot of costs as as a percent as a percentage in some significant spend areas. So, you know, I would love if you could tell us more about that experience and what you learned that might be able to help others that are in organizations that are going through that kind of that kind of growth as well. No, absolutely. So when I joined LaserShip, one of the low hanging fruit for what I saw during the interview session or as soon as I started uh, was amount of individuals we were using to do a task. There was almost zero physical automation. So there was no conveyor systems. There was no sort the model was that we had four hubs and 50 plus at that point uh, branches that so branches are used for the last mile delivery hubs were used for first and mid mile deliveries and the hubs or the branches did not have automation at all so the one thing that i brought into the company was the automation getting the right scanners sortation systems and so for implementation of those uh, quite a bit of millions of dollars for the company that they they have not done in the past but that's what my role was when I was getting interviewed. My whole interview was around how I uh, was part in Macy's and, and, and Bad Bath and Beyond and so forth in the sortation system and getting this automation uh, going. So they wanted to implement that, but they were looking for the right individual to join the leadership team. And that's how I came into the play and build the full automation uh, for all the hubs and uh, uh, also the high level of branches, which has had the highest, higher volumes going through. And uh, they continue to build that as well uh, as we speak. So that's how we reduce. It was again, it was right in the middle of COVID. I joined and COVID happened. <laughs> that's how I can say. <laughs> perfect timing. And, uh, perfect timing. And uh, we were going through that uh, COVID issues. So automation came into the play even even more importantly for us because without that, we would not have a growth. We were doing about 50,000 approximately packages on the biggest hub per day. We moved from 50,000 to 500,000 in the same hub <laughs> by, by the time uh, 18 or 18 months to two years was done of my my tenureship. Sorry. So first of all, the 50,000 a day was the starting point and you're saying there was no automation, so it was all manual? All manual. Uh, there were tons and tons of temps and employees in the building. Wow. Again, I I, I don't want to come off in a way that I took away all the jobs. But the funny thing is, every single employee stayed, and automation is the one took over all the additional work that came in. So it was a win-win situation for the company and the people. Of the Absolutely. Company. I mean, you know, if you go from 50,000 to 500,000, yeah, you, you probably need more people than you had at 50,000, even with automation at that <laughs> right. point, right? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. But automation definitely helps. That's, that's pretty amazing. And then, so, you know, just moving forward on your career, and this is the part that gets me all geeked out and nerded out, right, is swag up. 
can you maybe give a little bit of like what 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 is swagger because i had to do a little bit of research and then figured out i'm like okay how do you disrupt right like everyone's talking about how do you disrupt an analog industry right by digitizing it and and in a in a in a very unique fashion and if you want to just give like a 2 minute high level overview of swag up and maybe we can dive into it a little bit no absolutely so i the way i i tell a story about swag up is only 4 to 5 year old company uh i was a 5 years was was literally built out of the basement the ceo um he he did it in early 20s uh he's he's very young extremely intelligent entrepreneur uh, his uh, you know his his name is michael martoji and he he has done a phenomenal job on the tech side to bring the company up uh, but the best description i can give you is the company is in a promotional industry side uh, and sell a supply chain as a service so we build onboarding boxes event boxes or backpacks we call it and and it's it's a pride thing to us because this is something that brings a smile to people's face and i have said this many times to other individuals that uh, when i used to work for other companies people say okay if you can make everyone happy and if you want to you have to sell ice cream to make everyone <laughs> happy uh, however i found my calling here and say no i think swag packs are another item that i can literally sell and everybody will have a smile on their face yeah. and and that's something really makes me going i think it's more people uh, we are emotional people oriented in a business i I'm, a lot of people say we are in a tech yes we are but end of the day we are we are poking the moral moral of the company or moral of the people of the company and 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 that's what swag does basically and and that's what we are doing we i would say other companies does a very as you said you know very manual way of doing things we are api api integrated we have tons of suppliers that work directly with us and um, uh, all our carriers too now we, we have a full kit like our 10 8 to 9 carriers now working with us on the transportation side we are sending packs domestically about 80% going domestically 20% going international uh, and a lot of fortune 500 companies are working with us with a, and and a lot of startups are working with us we have about portfolio of 4000 companies currently working with us wow. yeah and so it's it's a b2b business and something we are evolving uh, and definitely bringing bringing in a way that other companies don't want to do that's what we are doing which is supply chain so when you when you when you mentioned supply chain as a service maybe help define i know when we had our prep call too i was really curious about that because when you think of someone with your military background with your 15 years of experience in supply chain and a lot of leadership roles you've you've seen a lot you've done a lot so swag up obviously has some pretty pretty big plans maybe some you can't talk about some you can't talk about but i mean to for them to be excited to bring you on to the leadership team and again i think as i mentioned in the intro you are the first chief supply chain officer uh so you you're defining what this role probably means for them so right. you know how do you go about defining this role and you know how how are you taking on that challenge is kind of like coming in as as a first uh chief supply chain officer i think it's um it's a two prone uh answer to this the first is uh in a startup uh phase of any companies you know the few things i had to be very mindful of being an agile right like that's one thing that fortune 500 companies they are already established so there's everything is mostly more set yeah. than a startup phase uh we are more customer centric that's something a good learning that 
even though I had 15 years of experience, uh, it's still it's still something new to me at the, at the same time going from private equity to now to startup and so forth and, and being resourceful and transparency, right? Like those two things also work hand to hand with us. Uh, so that's, that's one side of the item. And the, and the second side on the supply chain side, yes, we are, I'm keeping an eye on a day to day, but at the same time, I want to keep an eye on a three year, five year plans for us. And in, in, in startup is very hard to do three year plans yeah. and four year plans and five year. <laughs> plans but i said if if we don't have those dreams you will never achieve those dreams right so i'm creating and i'm i'm trying to make sure those dreams are up there so that when time comes we only need to execute and not strategize that's one less thing to do at that point and and that's how i'm defining the supply chain for the company itself and yes we do have a few plans going into next 12 months for sure and that's something we want to we want to when somebody thinks about promotional industry somebody thinks about swag they think about us and that's that's the game plan here amazing amazing you as you're kind of building out that plan you're 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 probably looking at different technology different automation you've been in the space for for quite some time so we just love your perspective on what what are you seeing out in the market that excites you what are the real opportunities that maybe you or others uh, you would recommend take a look at absolutely so the first thing uh, in a, in um, you know supply chain i was looking at more on the procurement side as well and what we figured out that there if you're looking at vendor management system we don't have a vendor management system as we speak we only, we are building in house now because we didn't find anything that is curated to our business style because ours is completely different. Most of the promotional industry companies, they have a tech, very tech heavy, but they don't have a supply chain side. They don't have warehousing. They don't work with a customer to house their product in the warehouse as well, which we do. So a customer can order some 100 packs from us and we can put 50 for uh, months and years to come, uh, they used to pay us a small amount of fees, and as as they onboard individuals or as their needs are, we can start shipping them on a on a parcel side. We just ship to their uh, their leaders or their new employees or any of their customers they want to send it out to whoever it is, and we, we just send it send they send it out for them. So now they don't have to worry about picking, packing, uh, prepping, shipping. We do everything for them, and the and they don't have to worry about they can continue to work on their business side and go from there so when we are looking at all that we don't we were looking into vendor management system that can help us to curate that and we were not able to find something right away so we decided to build our own and we are in in, a, in right now building it that will help us and assist us to grow more in the future. And then we wanted to make sure that implements with our WMS and ERP system in the future and grow from there. So that's that's where I would say it's a challenging because there's there's very cup one or two companies out there probably that do parts of it, but not exactly what SwagUp does. And the customers also we have. It is very hard to go and say, okay, let's look at them and learn from them. And other companies, we don't have that either. So we are tr literally building the path for a lot of other companies following, following from uh, like from now to forever. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, the the business as I look into it, right, 
you have, you know, you can go build your own kit. You're down to the color, the swatch of the color that right. you want to utilize for Yeti cup or, you know, a t-shirt or whatever, right? right? And you are very dependent on these suppliers, these vendors that you're working with and doing so, right? Volatility that you have seen in your previous life with what happened with COVID or even supplier issues right now or with inflation going on, don't know what's going to end up happening. You know, we are still in the new cycle with uh, SVB as an example. There is a whole bunch that's going on. How do you view supply chain resilience, right? Like, how do you build, you know, that resilient supply chain to be able to counteract whatever might come based on all your experiences, right? I'm sure, you know, it's hard to predict the next six months, let alone the next three years, but it has to be flexible. So like, what's your vantage point? How do you plan your supply chain today? So when you talk about supplier issues and supplier uh, inventory issues and so forth. I think we are not the only one going through. Everyone else is going through. I think it's we have come to the point where even our customers understand when something is unavailable because everyone, they are also in a, in a, in a business because as I said, B2B. So they understand when the inventory is not available and so forth. I think the two things over here that we are continue to work and we have we have done a great job as organization and the supply chain team has done a great job. Number one is communication part to our customer and to our suppliers and the expectations of those. We're setting the right expectation. We're not going to tell customers that something is going to take three weeks. We're going to deliver in two weeks. Not going to happen. We're also going to let them know if something we don't have, we don't have visibility, we don't have visibility, right? Sugarcoating something to a prof- to anyone, I think, is a disrespect to their intelligence. And that's the last thing you want to do, knowingly or unknowingly. And on the supplier side, the one thing that we have done is, uh, this is something that I have learned in the last 20, 25 years from military to the civilian side is how you can continue to build leaders with humility, yeah. right? Understanding their side of it and making sure that you you, you look at from there where from the, where they are standing and try to understand and help them out. We have a lot of suppliers that come back and say, Prashant, I don't have this in black color. I say, okay, what is the closest to the black color you have? Right. Instead of going and ripping them off and saying, hey, why you don't have a black color? That's not the question I should be asking. They are also doing in the business. They also want to make money. They also want to be successful. Nobody's going to come and tell me a wrong, uh, you know, uh, wrong answers to those things. So I understand that. So I think the question leading question to those issues, that's how you build relationship. I don't look them as a supplier. I look them as my partners. Right. Because we I want to grow them together. I want to make sure we are all successful together. And we are building the ecosystem in a way that if I'm a making million, I want them to make a million. That's that's the best way to look at it. And that's how all the suppliers, when we call them, even on the weekends, on the nights, they're responding. Mm-hmm. They are responding because more, not because uh, Swag, Up, Swag Up can give them a billion dollars next day. It's about you know working with them more respectfully and which uh, I think time to time as a people, we forget and we just need to give lead by example through that. Yeah, that is, uh, that really hits a chord. And I think, you know, in, in one of our past episodes, someone had said, you know, what supply chain people really need to do is they need to be less hard on themselves. Like when we, when a salesperson goes to a meeting, they talk about the 30% of business that they closed and everyone's high fiving. When a supply chain leader goes to a board meeting, they talk about the 0.5% of failures that they had. And, and I think the perspective you're giving here is like, listen, we're all human. We're all striving for the same success. And if we could, if we could partner 
and not not just be you know attacking each other then then everyone succeeds and and there is a world right where we could all live in where we're men and women can be nice to each other and treat each other with dignity and respect. I, I, I love that perspective and your, your business philosophy on that front. Well, uh, Prashant, this has been an absolute amazing conversation. Uh, really thank you for joining us today. And maybe just as a, in closing, if you could tell everyone where they could learn a little bit more about Swag Up, where they could uh, reach out to you, maybe follow you if you're on any, uh, uh, you know, what social channels you're on. No, absolutely. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And uh, definitely go on a swagup.com if you're if you're interested to look into what services we provide or even just literally go on that page and call any of the leaders, I can almost guarantee that somebody's going to reach out and we can talk business from there. Not an issue. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Prashant. Really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to maximize your supply chain. Available on all major podcasting channels. Thank you for listening and see you in the next episode.